Hello, my name is David, and I am spreading the Christmas joy. And I would love for you guys to sing me a Christmas carol. You want us? I want you to sing me a Christmas carol. Uh, no. Four calling birds, three French horns, two turtle ducks. Merry Christmas! Would you sing me a Christmas carol, please? Um, and no reindeer. I love Christmas so much. I can't even explain to you how much I love Christmas. You can't get peppermint mocha during October. And I could listen to Christmas carols all day long. In fact, I usually do. Great, thank you very much. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Christmas Carol is O Come All Ye Faithful. It was originally written in Latin, and it was called Adeste Fidelis, which basically means the translation is Come, You Faithful Ones. And uh, it was originally translated into English in 1841 by Frederick Oakley, and that's where we get the title, O Come, All Ye Faithful. And this is one of those carols that has stood the, the test of time, so enjoy this version of it.
I uh, got chill bumps first time I listened to that, and I, I don't know, 15, 20 times I've listened to it since. Um, when I come up here and I work on the computer, I'll put that on. I'll listen to the Oh Holy Night that we did last week, and and, and it just helps me to um, focus on the Savior. And that's what this, this season is about. But, you know, if we're going to... If we're going to be real honest today, a lot of times the holidays are not faith-filled, joy-filled holidays, are they? A lot of times folks um, are feeling lonely and um, folks have lost loved ones and it's just very difficult to uh, go through the holidays, especially the first time around without someone. And I want to focus on just a couple of uh, phrases here in this in this. Carol, and, and really what I want to look at is the first line, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Now, as you're sitting out there today, how many of you are faith-filled, I'm ready to storm the gates of hell right this moment, people? And, and I want you to be totally honest. If you feel that way, you raise your hand. If you don't feel that way, you don't raise your hand. How many we got? Okay, kind of keep them up. Keep them up if you're those. This is, I want you to look around. Because... You can put them down now. Thank you. Because Christ wants us to live a faith-filled life. And, and in reality, though, life is so tough that it beats us down. And we get our eyes on our circumstances and not on our Savior. And it becomes very difficult um, to, to be that faith-filled Christ follower all the time. This song can kind of be daunting. Because if you look at those words, you think only the... the uh, only the best Christ followers would, would fit the description because you saw five, six, maybe seven people who said, you know, I'm, I'm filled with faith today. And I've known so many people who felt called of God to do something, whether it's to work in the children's area, whether it's to, to uh, be in a band, whether it's to do all these different things. I know people who felt fired up, filled with faith. I'm going to serve God the rest of my life. And then they got to serving God and it was hard. And, and after a while, they didn't realize how many trials and tribulations were coming along with the kingdom of God. And I guess they didn't really read the scripture because Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Jesus said, you're going to have problems. There's, there's no guarantee when you become a Christ follower, you're not going to have problems. Um, in fact, you're going to have probably more because you're a Christ follower. And folks begin to doubt when the Christian life becomes hard and they're not equipped for that. And joyful, when you go shopping this time of year, is joy the word that comes to mind? I mean, if you were the, the I didn't even do the Black Friday thing this year. I've done it in the past, and I was like, these people are insane, and, and, and I might kill one of them, or they might kill me, you know, and so I just didn't even go until the next morning. This, this past year, I woke up kind of early because I went to bed early, and uh, went and I picked over all the stuff you guys left behind, and there was good, some good stuff left behind, but but... Have you ever been in the situation this time of year when you're kind of in a hurry? I'm never in a hurry. But you're in a hurry and you're shopping and you find the stuff and you come to the front of the store and, and maybe our fa- favorite giant retailer that we won't mention because I might get in trouble. Um, but you go to the front of the store and all of the lines are full. And they don't have, they don't even have the self-check open, right? Okay. So that doesn't narrow it down at all, does it? So you come and all of the lines have about the same number of people in them. And do you do this? Do you look at the people and try to look at their carts and how many are in their hand to figure out which line would be going the fastest? And if you're really sick like I am, not only do you pick a line, but you watch the person who would have been you in the other line. And if you beat them, woo, it's a good day and you are joy filled. But if you don't, man, it just sucks the joy right out of you, right? So what I do, I come forward and, and it never fails if I'm in a hurry. I get in the line that someone's writing a check. Who writes checks anymore? 
And they're talking. And then, and then I also have the coupon lady, the extreme coupon lady that's in my line. And, you know, and I'm just going, oh, no. And then I'm thinking I'm finally going to get there. And the person in front of me gets one of them without the barcode on it. And they say, price check. And how many of you think there's anyone back there in that department going to give a price check in this lifetime? And it gets frustrating. And you get the joy just sucked right out of you, right? And this word triumphant, that's not a word that we use very often anymore. Uh, it's a good New Testament word, Old Testament word, but we don't use that because you come to this time of year and, and Christmas is hard financially, isn't it? Not for anybody? So you, you come and, and you look at your checking account and you're like, oh man, I don't feel very triumphant there. And, and every year, I'm, I'm willing to bet in January, you think this year is going to be different. And you get to the end of the year and, and triumph is not what you're thinking when you see your finances. And I know, and I bet you do too. I bet you know a lot of people, a lot of marriages where they're, I don't know, three, four, five, ten, twenty years in and one or both spouses are going, we're not, we're not where we thought we were going to be relationally, spiritually. This marriage isn't, isn't what, I, what I expected. And, and a lot of people come to this time of year and, and in their marriages, they're defeated and I remember, I was thinking about this uh, last night. I remember being single back before Janie and I got married. Um, when I left college, I moved up to uh, Bedford and I had an apartment by myself. First time I'd lived by myself. I had roommates, you know, all through college. And, and so you always had somebody to talk to. And even if you were the third or fifth or seventh wheel, you had somebody to go do stuff with. When I went to Bedford, I started my first full-time job. And I remember coming home I got it, and y'all heard me tell this before, but I got an answering machine because I thought I was missing calls and the loneliest feeling in the world is to walk in and there's no lights blinking because nobody's calling. And so I spent a lot of Friday nights and Saturday nights by myself. I uh, hung out with my nieces and nephews that, you know, were three and four and five because they thought I was cool, even if nobody else did. And I remember what it was like being really, really lonely and, and not having anybody even to, to hang out with. Played a lot of softball, hung out at the gym a lot. Um, I was that creepy guy. And um, I remember some singles get to this time of year and they're thinking, it's always going to be this way. I mean, I read the comments on Facebook and I see that people are struggling, especially folks who don't have someone of the opposite sex that, that, that they feel um, close to. And let me just tell you this. I've said this over and over again. It's worse to be in a marriage and feel lonely than it is to be single and feel lonely. There is no soul-shaking loneliness like being married to someone who doesn't get you and doesn't care. So I'm just going to tell you to hold on because the baby in the manger offers some hope that things will be differently. Now, don't think for a minute I'm trying to diss this song. This is one of my favorite songs. But what I want to focus on for just a few minutes is who it is that Jesus actually calls to the manger and then what he does with you at the manger that radically changes your life. So straight from the mouth of Jesus, who does he call? Number one on your listening guide, Jesus calls the weary and the burdened. The weary and the burdened. In Matthew 11, Jesus was talking to his followers and actually just kind of had this big deal with the Pharisees. He is always having stuff with the Pharisees, the religious people. And so he says, here's who I am. He says, come to me, all you who are what? Weary and what? Burdened. 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The religious leaders were just pouring more and more rules on people and said, if you don't follow our rules as well as God's rules, then, then you're a heathen, and you can't even be in the kingdom. And Jesus said, no, guys, you've got it all wrong. Jesus came to simplify stuff. And he, he came to make it lighter. But he said, if you are struggling, if you're weary, if you're burdened down, you're the people I'm looking for. Second thing Jesus calls is the sinners. Matthew 9, uh, starting in verse 10, he says, uh, he says this, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Now what has happened is, Jesus has gone around and he's calling all of his followers. You know, this is when he gets his 12 disciples. And Matthew was one of them. Matthew was a tax collector. And, and tax collectors were the scum of the earth. Because they ripped off their own people. They served Rome, even though they were Jewish people. And they ripped off their own people. And so they were like outcasts. They were the the lowest people in society. And, And so Jesus says, hey, Matthew, I want you to follow me. And this was an honor because Jesus was this rabbi. He taught like nobody had ever taught before. What they would do is they would take the best students um, as they were growing up, the best spiritual students, and they would become followers of the best leaders. So so if you had um, like Gamaliel, he was one of the best known Jewish leaders, rabbis. And so he would get the pick of the litter. He would find the best students when they were four or five, six years old. They would become followers of his, disciples of his. And then the next best teacher, he'd get his pick of the next best. And so the best of the best of the best had already been chosen to be scribes and Pharisees, um, they, the, the writers of the law, interpreters of the law. And so these guys were kind of left out of that, and they had to find their own way. And so they're not thought of as high, uh, as high up in the hierarchy of the religious system. And so here you've got, especially a, a tax collector and Jesus said, Hey dude, I want you to follow me. And he's like, you want me to be your, your student? Don't, don't you know who I am? And Jesus is like, I know exactly who you are. Jesus spent lots of prayer before he called Matthew. So Matthew was so excited to follow this Jesus. He didn't know what else to do. So he invites Jesus to his house and he invites all of his lost tax collector friends to his house. And he says, I don't know what else to do, but I think if you hang out with Jesus, you might be changed. And look what happens. He invites Jesus to his home as dinner guest, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees, religious people, saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. If you're here today and you think you are righteous, Jesus didn't call you. But if you're here today and you say, I struggle, life is hard, and I know I'm a sinner, welcome to the party. He said, I come to call those who know they are sinners. You see, it's almost like we could rewrite this song and we could say, Oh, come all ye sinners, ye weary and ye burden, come to Bethlehem. Jesus saying, if you're messed up, you're the people that I want. Come to the manger scene, bow before the king. And here is the incredible part of the story. He invites all of the messed up people of the world and he loves you so much, he will not leave you messed up. He begins to transform you as you bow the knee to that little baby in the manger who grew up to be the savior of the world. As you bow your knee, he comes inside and he transforms you into a different person. In fact, um, the Bible says something miraculous happens when you bow before Jesus and call out to him to save you. It's in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This is the theme verse for our church. It's where our church gets its name. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He is not the same anymore. Remember that phrase. A new life has begun. 
we're all about new life. And, and if you ever get to the point that you don't get excited about someone coming into the kingdom of God, you got issues with God. Because Jesus said, I came to find sinners. I came to find messed up people. And if churches aren't finding messed up people, the churches aren't following the king. He came so that you can have a brand new life. He came in the manger so that you could be new on the inside. And so if Jesus doesn't leave me where I'm, if I'm not the same anymore after I come to Christ, what does he change me into? Well, a couple of things. Jesus helps us become more faithful. This is kind of a big deal. Because your faith is not dependent on you. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So the one who wrote the faith into existence, the one who perfected it by living a sinless life, this Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And actually there's a better translation that says despising the shame. Jesus despised the shame of the cross, but he did it for you so that you could become brand new. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So our, the author of our faith comes into our hearts and our lives and he writes that faith into us and then he helps that faith mature as we grow older. And... Uh, he begins to perfect it in us. So how does he perfect it? It's, it's in Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. When we hear God's word, it builds our faith. I talked to you about this last week. The reason so many Christians, Christ followers, suppose Christ followers are weak and struggling is because they don't come to God for their daily bread. When, when his followers said, teach us to pray, he said, he said, pray this way. Give us this day our what? Daily bread. And we talked about this last week. Not our weekly bread. And, and I'm sorry if all you do is come on Sunday mornings. Actually, I'm glad you come. But that's not enough for you to get this faith-filled life. He said you need daily bread. Not weekly bread. Not monthly bread. Not once a year bread. Come daily and he'll begin to transform you into a person who has faith. Now, I don't know if, if you've, you're like me, but, but if you've been a Christ follower any amount of time, you've gone through difficult times. And in the midst of those difficult times, I'm amazed how many times God sends a verse that just changes me. Anybody had that experience? It just speaks right to me and it helps me go through life. About 25 years ago, this was long before Janie and I were married. We've been married 21 years. I was at a church in uh, Austin, Texas, and, and we had this situation where our pastor did some stuff. And, and so all of the deacons of the church get together and they talk to the pastor and, and the staff was there. And they said to the pastor, we're going to ask you to resign. Because he did some stuff and he should have resigned. And the staff told him, you should resign. And everybody in the church that I looked up to, the deacons who were godly men, these were Sunday school teachers, these were the people who gave in our church, they said to the pastor, you need to resign. The pastor said, okay. Well, then he did this whole campaign where he started calling everybody that was on the church roll. And, and so on this Wednesday night when we normally had 30 or 40 people, 400 people show up that night. And I'm standing there with a brand new Christian. We're actually leaning on the wall. And he goes, I, I don't know that person, that person. I'm going, me either, dude. I'd been there a couple of years. And these people had never been in the church before. And so we had this, this business meeting. The, the godly men that I felt were, were religious leaders in our church got up and said, here's what the scripture says. Here's what the pastor's done. We need to vote against this. In the middle of this, this lady that didn't know uh, Robert's rules of order, which is what we followed in all of our meetings, she stands up and she says, I have a substitute motion. She came down and she started talking uh, about this. And I'm, I'm going, what is happening here? 
And then when they voted, all the people who didn't regularly come to church voted to keep the pastor. All the people that I thought were godly people voted to get rid of the pastor. It was, it was about a 60 to 40 vote, or actually it was about a 55 to 45 vote. And I walked out of there stunned. The next Sunday, half of our church was gone. The givers, the teachers, the leaders, the godly people said, we cannot be a part of this church. And so they left. And so I'm sitting there going, what is going to happen here? Because we've just defied the living God. We, we, we read what God's word said and we defied him. And, and I don't know if you know Old Testament, but there was a time when, when one of the Old Testament ladies had a baby and she named him Ichabod because she said, the glory of God has departed from Israel. That's what Ichabod means. And someone said, I think God just wrote Ichabod across the doors of our church. And I was, you know, I'm, this is my first full-time job. I'm going, oh, no. Um, my, uh, my dating life was kind of non-existent because I was, I was the type of guy that, that if, if I couldn't date, you know, somebody that I was going to marry, someone that, that was a, a God follower, I didn't go to parties. I didn't go to bars. I didn't do any of that stuff. I just, so, you know, if, if God didn't kind of hit me in the head with somebody there, then, then I didn't date them. There was this one girl that I was interested in and, and I found out she was lying to me. I mean, this was a blatant flat out lie. And so I was like, wow, okay, my church is falling apart. My dating life, which was non-existent, is less than non-existent. And then my best friends in the church lied to me um, about something that was a pretty significant thing. And so I'm, I'm laying in bed one night going, God, I don't like this. If this is ministry, I don't want any part of it. And I was writing in my journal and I was reading in my Bible and I came across this, this verse in uh, Psalm chapter 34. And actually, this morning, I just, you know, thinking about Wes and them, I just read through the whole... Uh, chapter again, but this verse stuck out to me. Psalm 34, 18, it says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I said, Lord, that's me because I can't even see up from down. I don't know what's going to happen in this church, in my life. And, and God, I'm brokenhearted. You promised God that you would be close to me. The next day I was reading in, in my Bible and, um, and I read these words, Isaiah 43, 2 and 3. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Now, you got to understand, God sent this message to the, to the Israelites when they had been destroyed by their foreign enemies because of their sin. And God says, I will not leave you destroyed. I will not leave you distraught. There will be a day when I will restore you. And this is what he says. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers... They will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And it, the, the whole message is, you're going to have difficult times. But I am Emmanuel, God with you. And I will walk with you through those problems. And I'm going to promise you that if you're faithful to me, I will take care of you. And these, wor these words just ministered to my spirit. And I've quoted these verses so many times to people. I've prayed them over people. God, be near to them because they are brokenhearted. They are crushed in spirit and they need you more than ever. God says he'll never leave you or forsake you, but we don't always see him. We don't always feel him, right? 
And so I begin to pray, God, would you make me aware of your presence? And when someone's hurting, I pray, God, would you make them aware of your presence? You promised God, and we're standing on your promises. And if you're a Christ follower and you hear God is near you when you're crushed in spirit, when you're brokenhearted, when you hear you can walk through floodwaters and they are not going to harm you. You can go through the fire and I, God, the Lord of Israel, the Savior of Israel will walk with you. Does that not lift your spirits if you're a Christ follower? If you're not a Christ follower, you're going, man, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. And, and that's understandable. But if you're a Christ follower, when you hear God's word, it builds your faith. So the author and the perfecter of our faith, he builds us up. He comes inside of us and creates this new creation. And when you hear words of the word of God, it builds your faith. Second, Jesus helps us become more joyful. In the Bible, joy is described as the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so you got that faithfulness thing in there, and then you got this joy thing in there. And, and so I got to thinking, if you are not faithful to God, you don't get joy from God. And I want you to think about this. Let's say that, that we take an apple seed and we go out here somewhere on the land. Let's all of us have an apple seed and we go out here and we plant each of our seeds all over the church land. What do we expect to come up from the apple seed? An apple tree. Thank you for playing. And, and when the apple tree matures, does the apple tree have to sit there and think, I need to produce an apple? Is that what the, is that what the apple tree is thinking? As if it flexes its branches, it can pop out a few more. Ping, ping. Is that what an apple tree does? Does he have to concentrate? No, when an apple tree is mature, whatever the life of the seed was that was planted in the ground is produced in that tree. The Bible talks about Jesus Christ. When you accept him, the Holy Spirit plants a seed inside of you that brings faithfulness, that can make you feel joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. You begin to produce the seed that is inside of you. But, but don't think for a second that joy and happiness are the same. This is on your listening guide. Happiness depends on happenings. Happiness depends on happiness. Uh, happenings. But joy depends on Jesus. See, too many Christians are, if good things happen to me, then I'm happy. If bad things happen to me, then I'm unhappy. And the Bible doesn't say that you're never unhappy. You can have joy in the midst of that. I know a lady that I used to see in, in one of the nursing homes. And every time I would see her, she would just smile and she'd say, Oh, come over here. And she would hug me and she'd say, I've been praying for you and your family by name. Every day I pray for you. And, and, you know, she's sitting in this wheelchair and, and I eventually did her funeral years later. I found out that this woman lost a three-year-old on an, on an oil rig back when they didn't have any standards of safety about that. They were out in their backyard and they were drilling an oil rig, the company was, and their three-year-old, they didn't know it, ran up on the deck and got killed. And I'm like, wow, how'd you deal with that? And she said, well, it was tough. But God got me through it. And then later she had a grandson that died of leukemia at 11. And I'm like, oh my goodness, how did you deal with it? And she just started telling me her whole life. If, if she hadn't told me that, I'd have thought she's the happiest woman on the face of the planet. I didn't know she had troubles. And she said, let me tell you what I've learned. God keeps his promises. She was the most joy-filled person. And she's had... Ten times the heartache that I've had in my life. And I'm like, oh God, help me to be like that woman. 
Because she was filled with joy. It had nothing to do with what happened around her. Joy comes from Jesus. Joy comes from something that's not of this world. It's supernatural and it has to be planted inside of you. And that's what happens whenever you come to Christ. The living God through the power of the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and begins to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are supernatural things that you cannot manufacture on your own. And we see this in the Christmas story. In Luke chapter 2, this is where the angels come to the shepherds. The lowliest, uh, outside of of, uh, tax collectors, shepherds were considered lowly and, and they couldn't come into the uh, the temple because they were they had to be cleansed and they couldn't come into the presence of royalty because they had such a, a low job. It's like a um, there was even a dung collector job back then and, and shepherds were one step above dung collector and tax collectors were right one step below dung collector. But anyway, I digress. In Luke chapter 2, they're out in the fields and it says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified because when something supernatural invades your world, you're terrified. Every time in Scripture an angel shows up, they're terrified. They fall down as dead men. And the angel says, do not be afraid. Did you know that the Bible, there are 365 fear nots or do not be afraid. One for every day of your year because God knows that we're a fearful people. And when we take our eyes off of the Savior, we put them on our circumstances, we become fearful. Do not be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all the people. If you knew anything about the history then, this was not a time to be happy. What was going to bring the joy? Because someone supernatural had invaded our world. Verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Because the Savior had come, you can now have joy. Jesus makes us joyful. He makes us faithful, joyful. And if you're smart, you're smart. What's the next one? Oh, come all you faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Everybody's smart. You ever been in a situation where you really needed someone to back you up? I've been in, I was thinking about this years ago. I went to a conference in California and on Saturday, we went to church on Saturday and then we took the, uh, the rental car back. We were staying at this hotel and we took the rental car back and walked to the hotel and we were just going to shuttle to the airport the next morning on Sunday. And as we're walking along, I'm with two of my buddies and uh, out of nowhere, these dudes just pop out of these cars. So there's like three dudes and I'm thinking, three of them, three of us. And honestly, I, was, I, I said to one of them, I said, I think we're about to be accosted. And to this day, he's never let me forget. He said, you said accosted. We're going to die. And you said, these guys are going to accost us. And and in my mind, I was thinking, can we take them? Can I outrun these two and get help? Right? Because sometimes you're in a situation, you need somebody who, who is bigger and stronger than you or tougher than you. Well, I was thinking about this and I thought about the movie Avengers. How many of y'all seen the movie Avengers? This just happened the other night. I was, I was at my parents' house this week helping my, my brother clean out my dad's garage because this was just a pit. And uh, anyway, we were, we were waiting. We went to Sam's, and we were about to go to the airport, and so they had to get some stuff for their restaurant. And I'm over there, and I see this, the, this part, my favorite part of the movie. The Hulk is my favorite, not because he's an incredible Hulk, but because of this one encounter that he has with the bad guy. This is the scene that I saw. Watch this real quickly. Oh, wow. Matt, what are you doing? 
You are all of you beneath me. I am a god, you dull creature. And I will not be bullied by that. Puny god. That's good, young. Stop it there. I did the same thing you did. Janie and I were watching this in Ennis at the drive-in movie, and we're sitting in our little chairs out there. I busted out laughing, and he's been my favorite ever since. So I'm in Sam's, and this little boy, I mean, he's just this little, got glasses on, you know, and they're slid down his nose, and he's just mesmerized, and he starts beating him, and I start laughing. He looks at me, and I said, that's my favorite part of the movie. And he goes, yeah. And... um <laughs> Then this ultra nerd, 20-something nerds walking by and hears me say, that's my favorite part. And he goes, where Hulk beat up Luke, Loki? And I'm going, who's Loki? And he goes, that, yeah, man, red. You know, and I'm going, wow. Um, anyway, I love that because puny God, you know, oh my God. And, and Hulk just beats the snot out of him. I'm going, yes. You see, I think, I think Christ followers sometimes forget how big our God is who has our back, if we are following him. God says, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. We forget that. We don't act like the king of the universe has our back. And so I just want to tell you real quickly a couple of things. The Bible says that if you will give your heart to God and if you will say, use me, two most dangerous words you can say, to God is use me because he will use you in ways that you could not imagine. Let me show you from, from the scripture, from Joshua, three things that God promises. If you'll say, God, use me, let me show you what he promises. First is strength. Joshua chapter 1, Moses has died. Joshua is now the leader. He'd been kind of an apprentice to Moses this whole time. Moses was like the biggest um, leader of the Old Testament outside of Abraham. And everybody loved Moses. And now God had chosen Joshua to uh, be the leader. And so he says to Joshua, God says to him in verse 5, No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. So God is telling you, if you say to him, use me, God's going to say, okay, when I use you, you will no one will be able to stand against you because of my power second he promises success in Joshua 1 6 he's again speaking to him he says be strong and courageous for you're the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them in other words Joshua not only will I be with you I will give you power to be successful you're not going to be a failure in fact if you're a failure and you're a Christ follower you're not doing your life God's way because God says, I'm going to call you to do this and I'm going to equip you to do something that you can't do in your power so that he gets the glory. When people are in awe and give their hearts to Christ is when they see something in you that cannot be explained in this world. God says, my work done my way will be successful. And then the last thing he says is support. Um, when, when my girls were little, little bitty, they shared a room and, um, they were just old enough to, to, I think Rachel was old enough to read and, and they used to share the room and, and I don't know if it, cause we watched a lot of veggie tales and we watched a lot of stuff. I don't know where they got some of these ideas, but at night they would start thinking about things and it's probably because of me, because of hunting and stuff like that. And so I talked about wild hogs and, and all of this, not, not the, Motorcycle movie. Um, I talked about, you know, hunting and we saw these, ho- these, these hogs out there, the boars and the sows and all this stuff. Well, Hannah used to think that she would lay down and she would start picturing wild hogs outside and she thought they were going to come in the house. You remember this, don't you? She thought they would come in the house. Well, then she'd get Rachel going and man, we just had this craziness going on in my little girl's room. And so what we decided to do was we started reading them scripture. 
And, and one of the verses that we read then was this Joshua 1, 9. It says, this is my command, be strong and courageous. And we read this to them over and over. In fact, we wrote it down in their little diary so that they could read it when they were old enough to read. Do not be afraid or discouraged. And the, the uh, translation that I used with them was, do not be afraid or upset. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I don't even remember. We used to have this little thing. We'd say, do not be afraid or upset. You know, we had the whole thing. We would act it out every night. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, and we would do this whole thing. And, and when I remember when both of them went through um, Awana, where they were memorizing verses, they would get this and they'd say, I remember this verse. You know, do not be afraid or upset. <laughs> but here's the thing. We wanted what we put in our minds many times is not the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. This Bible contains truth. And so we wanted our children to know that there was someone bigger and badder than mom and dad. Because mom would say, oh, if something comes in here, your dad will kill it. We wanted them to know someone even bigger and badder than mom and dad had their back. God's promises of success um, are given even to children and protection and support. And uh, let me just tell you why so many people, so many Christians are living defeated lives is because they missed the key and the key is actually in Joshua 1.8. God says, Joshua, study this book. Which book? This book. Now, back then, all he had was the Old Testament. We've got the completed book. He says, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. How many of you would like to prosper? How many of you want to be successful in what you do? Do it God's way. And God says, you do what I've called you to do. If you're too busy, then you're doing something that God didn't call you to do. You don't need 36 hours. You just jack that up too. God's given us 24 hours. He's given us just enough time to do His will each day. And I'm not saying that you don't go to work because God has called many of you to be in the job where you are and be a light there. Your job is not just for you. Your job is there so that you can share the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone. We're the hope of the world. God left the plan in our hands. And that's a scary thing because we get so focused on ourselves. So the key is to know God's word. You've got to discover his will in his word. And God's promise of success is not based on your ability. God's promise of success is based on your commitment to his word. Tell me how much time you're spending in God's word and I'll tell you how successful you are in the kingdom of God or how unsuccessful. Don't put your faith in a puny God. Realize how big our God is. And, and I want you to, to realize... Um, who it is who has called us, who it is who is with us, who it is who promises to give us faith, to build our faith, to build our joy, to help us be triumphant. Um, 700 years before Jesus Christ walked the earth, Isaiah penned these words in, in chapter 9, verse 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passion, I love this sentence, the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. 700 years before Christ was born, Isaiah said, 
There's coming one who will change the world and has the power to change individual lives. He will be the perfect one who will die a sacrificial death and all who accept the sacrifice will have all the benefits of a child of God. Scripture's prophesying about this young baby and, and you know, we see the manger scenes today and we see Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and we see maybe an angelic being and we see all these, these little animals and it's such this pleasant little thing. Let me tell you who the baby in the manger is. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the author of life. He's the prince of peace. He's the author of our faith and the perfecter of it. He is the one who spoke everything into existence. He is the bread of life. He is our salvation. He is the lifter of our head. And as the song said, he is born the king of angels. Come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. And it may not look like it in your little world, but the ultimate triumphant one is already seated at the right hand of God the Father. And according to the last pages of the book, he's coming again. And every scripture, every promise that he's made, he's kept so far. The only ones that haven't come to fruition are the ones about him returning again. And it says, if you don't know him, you do not want to be alive when he returns. He came the first time as, as, as a God of peace. The next time he's coming as a God of justice. And he's coming to reclaim what is his, has been his from the beginning. He is the one who fights for his beloved. He's the one who defends, who disciplines, who encourages, who picks picks us up when we failed. He's the one who enables us to be faithful. He's the one who enables us to be joyful, who enables us to be triumphant. Never forget that when you hear the words of the carol. Oh, come all ye faithful. Joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Sing it with me. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, we thank you that you sent your son as Emmanuel, God with us. And that when we feel down and defeated, he is the one who enables us to feel faithful again, to feel joyful again, to feel triumphant again. Thank you for all the promises of Scripture that remind us of your great love for us. And I thank you, God, that we do not have to be perfect to get to heaven. We just have to give our lives to the perfect Son of God. And we get in on His ticket. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your registration cards, if you would. And and I want you to write some things down for me on the back. Because we want you to apply what God has shared today. Some of you do not feel very faithful and you just need to be honest with God and you need to say, God, help me to be faithful. So you write down the word faithful. Some of you joyful, you, you've gotten your eyes off the Lord and, and you've been whining and complaining and, and life is bad and, and you forget all the good things that you had. You need the joy of the Lord to renew your strength. So you write down joyful. And some of you, 
your marriages are struggling, your finances are struggling, you don't know what's going to happen next, and you just say, God, I need some triumph in my life. Write that on the back of your card. At the back, we have um, three different baskets. Um, We have our joy basket. It's how we give each week. If you're a guest, we don't expect you to give. Um, We have a registration card basket. If you have any prayer concerns, you write that on the back of your card because some people right now, I know you're struggling with relationships and you don't know what to do. And, and we will pray for you. Um, there are some of you that, you know, you know people who are sick. You know people who, who have passed away and, and families are just being de- devastated. And, you know, it happens at Christmas time. Jennifer said last night, she goes, why does it always happen around Christmas? I, said, I don't know. But it just reminds me that this world is not all that there is. There, there is, this world is so, the time is so brief compared to eternity in heaven. I can't answer all those questions, but I can tell you there's a God who has an eternity for us that's so great that we can't even imagine it if we'll give our hearts and our lives to him. But some of you, you just need to, you need to, to tell God what it is that's, that you're struggling with right now. Um, we've got a couple of things coming up. Let's see, next week is uh, Away in a Manger. Week after that is Emmanuel, and then our Christmas Eve service. I can't believe that that 2012 is almost gone. We get to January, we're really going to be hitting hard our Haiti trip and getting people signed up and committed for that, and and start doing some um, fundraising because that's going to hit us before we know it. Oh yeah, we have a third basket. I said three, and I just mentioned two. Bagel basket, building a great life. Everything goes in there, goes to pay off debt. Uh, We're trying to get out of debt as quickly as possible so that we can be ready to do whatever God has in chapter 2 for new life. Well, have a Merry Christmas. Get out of here.